There is something inside of you that wants to find the thing that you were made to do. Become confident of it. It'll change your perception of your future. Do you have the courage to think something beyond where you are? My calling will find me. Today I want to focus on the holiness of the Lord. Remember how the angels cried, holy, 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 back and forth? God's holiness has a profound effect upon us. Let's read our text, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord Almighty. So we see that King Uzziah's death marked the beginning of Isaiah's 60-year ministry, primarily as a prophet to the nation of Judah. But because of his leprosy that Uzziah received because of his sin... He ruled as a co-regent with his son, Jotham. Now, it's important to know what the leaders were like at the time because in many ways, as the leader went, so went the nation. Same is true today, isn't it? And so what was Jotham like as a king? Because we know there were some good kings of Judah. There were no good kings of Israel once the kingdom was divided. But there were a few good kings of Judah. And so let's look at Jotham. 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 32. In the second year of Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His, mother na- his mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. Isn't that good? He did right, just like Uzziah did until he tried to become a priest and went into the temple. But the story does not end there. Look at verse 35. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. And Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord. The high places. The high places were mentioned often during the time of the kings of Israel and Judah. And so what exactly were these high places? You see them all throughout First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Well, according to Holman Bible Dictionary, it says this: A high place was an elevated site, usually found on the top of a mountain or hill. Most places were Canaanite places of pagan worship. And when the Israelites came to the land of Canaan, they were ordered to destroy the high places of the people who lived in the land, lest the Israelites be tempted to worship the Canaanite false gods and accept their immoral behavior. And that's exactly what happened. The people were to only worship at the temple in Jerusalem. But they kept worshiping at these high places 
that came from the time of the Canaanites before they were even came to the promised land, the Israelites. And they failed to remove these high places, and eventually it led to their downfall. Now, there were kings who did what was right, but failed to go all the way in cleansing the land by removing these high places. Besides Jotham, let's look at 1 Kings 15, 14. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all of his life. Now, how is that possible to have his heart fully committed to the Lord, and yet he did not remove these high places? See, the reality is we can... We can be on fire for God. We can be sold out to the Lord and still have high places in our life. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 32. Jehoshaphat, another great baby name. If Jolene and I were continuing to have children, that's a J name. We could have used Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Man, this is great. Verse 33. The high places, however, were not removed, and the people still had not set their hearts on the God of their father. And so Asa was sold out for God, but he didn't touch the high places. And then his son followed him and was, was serving the Lord, but he did not remove those high places either, and the people continued to worship at them. And we see the same was true of Jotham during the ministry of Isaiah. And though these good kings did not worship at these high places, now the kings didn't go there to worship, but they still allowed them to remain in the land. And as a result, the high places became a source of great temptation to the Israelites. You can be a Christian, but still have high places in your heart that need to come down. We can love the Lord and we can be following the Lord, but there are these places in our life, these are the, there are areas of our heart that need to be restored and healed and, and cleansed. And so we may love God, we may go to church, we may do all that we're supposed to do, but I think the reality is we all have some area of our life that we've yet to surrender to God. It is imperative that we remove these high places. And these high places served as a temptation to the people of Israel. It was a constant source of temptation. It's one of the purposes of the high high places was to to tempt them to go back to Canaanite worship. And how many know the Bible warns us about temptation? That we're to do all we can to avoid temptation. And so there are temptations in our life. And remember, temptation itself is not a sin, but it can certainly lead there. And even in the Lord's Prayer, we ask the Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's imperative that we deal with temptation in our life to get as far away from it as possible. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We see this process. That temptation is because of our our own desires. We still deal with this flesh, don't we? We're not perfect. We never will be perfect in this life. We still deal with the sinful nature. And part of that sinful nature leads us into temptation. And if we give in to temptation, it leads to sin. 
Only two kings in all of Judah and Israel's history removed the high places during their reigns, Hezekiah and Josiah. They were the only kings to remove the high places. And I believe the Lord is bringing us, and when I say us, I mean us individually and us as a church. I believe the Lord is bringing us into a new chapter, a new season, a new setting, and a new calling. We've come out of COVID, bless God, even though remnants are still hanging around. Now we got monkeypox to worry about. So we, don't you want something fresh, something new to get past all of this mess that we have been through, this craziness? Before we can enter into what God has for us, some things need to change. God is dialing up things in our heart and in our life. We can't get to the place the Lord has for us as long as we still have high places in our hearts. So this is what the Lord is doing. He, is, he wants to bless us. He wants us to take new territory in our lives. He wants us to be overcomers. But before we can do that, we've got to identify the high places in our hearts and have them removed. We can't get to where God wants us to be. And so this is why we need God's holiness in our lives. Because my first point, number one, his holiness reveals the high places in our hearts. See, it's the holiness of God. I, I mean, imagine Isaiah having this vision with the temple and it's filled with smoke and the thing is shaking like crazy and the glory of the Lord is thick and it's the holiness of God. The angels, they keep crying, holy, holy, holy. And the holiness is the light of God that illuminates the high places in our hearts. This is why we need God's holiness in our life. God is so holy that nothing is hidden from his sight. Before we're ready to proclaim, here am I, send me. Before we're ready to go out and do what God's called us to do, we got to address the high places. You see, the high places were relics of the past. The occupation of the promised land by the Canaanites and their evil practices. The high places, the Canaanites built them. And they were to drive out the Canaanites out of the land. And they were to destroy these high places and they didn't either. And as a result, both the Canaanites and all the other ites that are mentioned, Amorites and Jebusites and a whole bunch of ites in the Bible, they left all the ites in the land and it became a problem. And we may be holding on to practices of the past that we need to finally let go of and remove. Is there anything from our old life before we knew Christ that we're still clinging to? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what we're doing and this is what God's holiness does. It says right there at the very end, God in true righteousness and holiness, his holiness reveals those high places, those connections to our past life that are unhealthy. These high places also served as a convenient substitute for the true worship of Yahweh. 
You see, the Israelites were commanded once a year to come to Jerusalem, to come to the temple, to make sacrifices. It was part of their worship, and that required traveling. It required planning. It required resources. And so how many know sometimes that's just not convenient? How many know God asks us to do things that are not always convenient? Rarely does he tell us to take the easy path, but take the hard path. So part of carrying our cross is realizing that we have, to, there's, we have a responsibility unto the Lord that he's given us. And there's no substitute for God and no replacement for true worship. And when the kingdom was divided into Israel in the north and Judah in the south, Jeroboam became the new king of Israel. So you had two nations. Israel split into two. And so this new king of Israel, he was afraid that if his people in Israel kept traveling down to Judah, remember, if they were to worship Yahweh, they had to travel all the way to Judah, Jerusalem and Judah, to the south, to worship. And so Jeroboam thought, look, if, the, if my people keep going to the other kingdom, eventually they're going to stay in that other kingdom. And so he was worried about losing his people. How many know they weren't his people? They were God's people. And so he instituted his own form of worship, which incorporated, guess what? The high places. Look at 1 Kings 12, 26. Jeroboam thought to himself, that's the first mistake he made, he thought to himself. Remember, our thoughts are not his thoughts, are they? Sometimes the greatest danger is our own reasoning. We're not to lean on our own understanding, but we do. We try to figure it out. We try to make it happen. What can I do to fix this? Instead of praying and trusting God to work it out, we get into control mode, and we try to control things and make them happen. And here Jeroboam thinks, you know what? I'm going to lose these people. I've got an idea. Let's read. The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. Verse 27. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem... They will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return, the king, return to King Rehoboam. Drop down to verse 31. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He basically said, you want to be a priest? You're it. Didn't have to have the call of God. Didn't have to have the anointing. Didn't have to be a part of the Levite tribe. Anybody could have been a priest, but how many know we're called by God to our ministry, whatever it may be, and we are a kingdom of priests, but that's because God's called us, not because we're self-appointed. Jeroboam selfishly wanted to make it more convenient for his people to worship God their way. We are to worship God his way, not our way. And there is such a move in our, our nation and our culture today, people figure out their own spirituality. They determine their own religion. They create their own beliefs. But we are called to worship God His way, and He has made it very clear in His Word what that is. The high places were artificial substitutes for worship of God. And Isaiah understood the danger of the high places. In fact, he experienced them 
under the reign of Manasseh, one of the most wicked kings of Judah, was Manasseh. And there's a whole story there. Hezekiah was going to die, and he asked for 15 more years, and it, it was in that time frame that Manasseh rose to the throne. Look at 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. I'm just winging it on these names. If you think, don't be impressed. I'm just winging it. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the what? High places. His father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole as Ahab king of Israel had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. This guy went the total opposite of his dad. Totally opposite of Hezekiah. And certainly Isaiah addressed this because tradition tells us that Isaiah was put in a hollow log and sawn in half by Manasseh. Manasseh didn't want to hear it. So therefore, the high places, they represent our previous sinful habits, our unhealthy connections to the past. How I many you know we can have some unhealthy connections to the past? Temptation, idolatry, convenience, and compromise. These are all different high places that God's challenging us in his holiness to deal with. There may be high places in our hearts and we don't even realize it. So we need to ask the Lord to reveal those high places in our hearts. At the end of the service, we're going to have communion. And that's going to be the focus of communion. Lord, reveal the high places in my heart. And let me bring him to you in, in repentance. Isaiah said, when, he, when all this holiness is going on, all this glory, all this shaking's going on, Isaiah says, woe to me. You see, Isaiah experienced the full force of God's holiness. And it was a shock to his system. Now, my generation is the disposable generation. I mean, you know, we don't fix what's broken. We just throw it away and buy another one. You know what I'm saying? And perhaps maybe things aren't as good quality as they used to be. But we're the disposable generation. We don't fix it. We just throw it away and go buy another one. Well, my dad's generation didn't throw anything away. You know what I'm saying? It, it was amazing. I remember when my dad got a computer, I said, Dad, let me buy you a computer desk. You know, he said, no, I went to the dump and found this bed frame, and I've welded it into a computer table. I'm like, you know what? And it worked. <laughs> But I was like, Dad, that's ugly. That's just not right. <laughs> throw it away. But he was that generation where he didn't throw anything away. And you know, God bless him. It was because of their frugality I was able to go to college. And so I, I admire that generation. Because I'm telling you, when the zombie apocalypse comes, my generation is going to die first. We don't know how to build a fire. We don't know how to do anything. We don't know how to grow crops or that our, our parents and grandparents, man, they'll be the only ones alive at the zombie apocalypse. And so my dad converted, he took the compressor out of our old fridge 
and he welded it to the frame of a push lawnmower with the motor gone. So instead of the motor, there was the compressor from the fridge. And so it, and it was on wheels because of the lawnmower base. And he used it for an air compressor, you know, to pump up tires and you know, balls and stuff like that. It looked weird. I mean, imagine the compressor welded to the base of a lawnmower. But it worked awesome. It was so great. I didn't have to use a foot pump, you know, and pump up my tires. And so one day I was using it to pump up the tires to my bike. And it, I just happened to be standing in a small puddle of water. And I didn't notice that the power cord had become a little frayed. And so... Instead of unplugging the plug at the plug, how many know you've, you've been told, don't yank on the cord, yank it out of the socket. You grab the plug and pull it out. Or guess what's going to happen? The cord's going to become frayed. And so I didn't pull the plug out because I never did. I just yanked on the cord all the time. And so I got the shock of my life. When I went to yank the cord out, I happened to grab the frayed part. And I'm telling you what, I had an experience. <laughs> because not only was I standing in water, I couldn't let go of that cord. And I felt electricity going through every part of my little body. Is it a wonder I'm alive? Is it a wonder? All these stories are true. You can ask my dad. I told the story a couple weeks ago. People asked him. He said, yep, that really happened. I think that's what the holiness of God must feel like. Just that power going through our body and our heart and our soul. When you encounter the holiness of God, it may shock your system. You may be overwhelmed you see, what happens is when we experience God's holiness, we recognize that we don't have any. When we see his holiness, we realize our lack of it. My second point is this. His holiness exposes our unholiness. This is why we need to see the holiness of God. And I'll tell you, there, there are times when there's been a move of God's presence that brings a response like Isaiah, woe is me. There are times where you can feel the, the glory of God. I'll never forget during the Promise Keepers movement, I was down in the Colosseum with 60,000 men. And we were singing Amazing Grace a cappella. And I'm telling you what, the glory of the Lord filled that Colosseum. Obviously, the Raiders weren't playing there anymore. So God's glory could come. <laughs> be nice. I've lost my quarterback, so be nice. But I'm telling you what, I, I was like, take me to heaven. 60,000 men singing amazing grace. The glory of the Lord was there. And when we worship, the glory of the Lord is in this place, whether we recognize it or not. And the holiness of God, when we enter into his presence, the holiness of God overwhelms us at times. Isaiah was completely overwhelmed. And he's also dismayed by his own human condition. 
and weakness. When you see God in all his glory and holiness, guess what? You see yourself in all of your lack of it. You know, we might be feeling pretty good about our own righteousness. That is until you experience the righteousness of God. The Life Application Bible says, Seeing the Lord and listening to the praise of the angels, Isaiah realized that he was sinful before God, with no hope of measuring up to God's standard of holiness. I mean, you know, he's holy and we are not. And yet we're commanded to be holy because holiness comes from God. And the Lord's holiness will show our lack of holiness. And when you experience the holiness of God, number three, his holiness provokes a response of woe. See, God's holiness shines the light on our life. And when Isaiah experienced the full force of the holiness of the Lord, he exclaimed, woe is me. And whenever anyone witnessed the holiness of God in the Bible, often their first response was the same as Isaiah, woe to me or woe is me. Now the word for woe in the Hebrew is a two-letter word, O-Y, oy. That must be the Australian reaction. Oy! Instead of, of woe. That's the Fonzie reaction, for those that can remember Fonzie. Let's look at the word woe in Hebrew. It means a passionate cry of grief and, or despair. Alas, according to the theological word book. It can be a declaration about oneself. Woe is me. Or it can be a proclamation on someone else. Woe to them. Isaiah both said it about himself, but he also said it in, look in verse, chapter 3, verse 11, Isaiah, woe to the wicked. Disaster is upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. And so Isaiah recognized that he was ruined. And the word ruin is dama in the Hebrew, and it means to cease, to cut off, to destroy, to silence, to perish, to be undone. So he is saying, woe, alas, is me, because I am silenced. Basically, Isaiah was saying, oi, I'm a dead man. And this same word for ruin is found in Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Boy, that's a scripture I want to I expound on, but I don't have time here this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time and that we would prepare for communion. If you would take the elements and, and not take them yet, we'll take them together. But the Bible says we're to examine our hearts before we take communion. And so... As the worship team leads us in song, we're going to take some time to look at our own hearts. We're going to ask the Lord in his holiness to shine the light on our hearts. We're going to ask the Lord, God, is there any high places in my heart? Is there an area of my life I've yet to surrender to you? Is there compromise? Is there unforgiveness? If there's something unresolved in my heart, 
so let's take that time. Is there any unholiness, any compromise, any idolatry or temptation? Or maybe there's an unhealthy connection to the past that we need to sever. We need to let go of. Because it's holding us back from what God has in the future. And so as Nathan sings, let's just examine our hearts. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the price you passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed and took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you that you made the ultimate sacrifice you paid the ultimate price you were the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth because of your sacrifice Lord we are free So, Lord, I just pray as we take this bread, God, you would just shine light on our lives, Lord. God, I thank you for your favor, your blessing, God, for your glory, God, for all the gifts you have given us, Lord, the greatest gift of all being God's Son. So we bless you, Lord. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take the bread? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your holiness. Lord, I pray that in your holiness, you would reveal our lack of it. 
Lord, in your holiness, may you reveal the high places in our heart. Those areas we've yet to surrender. Those areas we've yet to conquer. Lord, we come before you knowing we can't be holy on our own, but we we are made holy by you. And so, Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that forgives our sin, that washes it all away, that makes us holy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you take the juice? Would you stand with me? The elders will be at the front and board members and pastors. If anybody needs personal prayer, please feel free to come down. Altars are always open if you want to pray. And again, we just want to keep our conversation in the foyer for those that stay in the altar and worship. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.